Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report Podcast, and today is February the 28th, 2024. It has been 3,684 days since Russia started covert military operations in Crimea, 10 years and 8 days since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war, and 2 years and 5 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression. Today's podcast looks at events that happened on Tuesday and Wednesday morning. On Tuesday, there was a significant internet outage in Russia that limited open-source intelligence. During the podcast, you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. A link is in the podcast description. There are minor updates today. I want to start today's podcast with an error under missions. Last week, we reported on the Russian disinformation campaign Maidan 3 in the past tense. This was based on the wording by the head of the Hur, Kirillo Budanov. When he discussed the Russian operation and provided analysis, he stated the hybrid warfare operation had already failed. It has since been clarified that Maidan 3 is ongoing and expected to peak in the next 90 days. We thank you for your understanding as we cut through the fog of war. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense, the General Staff of the Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. We assess there is a very high risk of a large-scale missile attack targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure within the next 48 hours, due to an increase in Russian ISR activity in multiple regions of Ukraine. 2. We maintain the risk that Russia will recognize the breakaway Moldovan Republic of Transnistria or declare it intends to annex the region is low. 3. We maintain that Russian-aligned assets have co-opted the ongoing Polish border blockade, which has become an open act of hybrid warfare against Ukraine. 4. The United States has ended financial and military aid to Ukraine, unless there is an unforeseen event that changes congressional leadership before the 2024 elections. 5. We assess that Ukraine's acute shortage of ammunition and air defense missiles will become catastrophic by April, and see no viable path to stabilize the situation. 6. Due to necessity, Ukraine has shifted to a Fabian strategy to wear down Russian combat power while conserving resources. 7. It is extremely unlikely that Russia will achieve its main operational goal of capturing the remaining areas of the Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts and the areas east of the Uskil River in northern Kharkiv oblast by March the 13th. 8. Ukrainian officials confirmed our earlier assessment that Russia is systematically executing Ukrainian prisoners of war in violation of the Geneva Conventions. 9. 
We maintain the Kremlin is preparing to complete the transformation of the governmental structure into a dictatorship, culminating after the results of the sham presidential elections are released. 10. The ending of US aid for Ukraine is motivating at least five European nations to consider expanding, restarting or starting nuclear weapons programs. 11. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the condition is more serious than what the International Atomic Energy Agency is reporting. We begin today's war report in the Kupiansk area of operation, or EO, of Kharkiv Oblast. Russian forces continued their attacks north and west of Sinkivka, with no change in the situation. Ukrainian and Russian sources reported Russian attempts to advance in the direction of Ivanivka and Tabayevka without success. In the Kremenayo of Luhansk Oblast, Russian attacks east and northeast of Terny continue to be repulsed. Let's talk about the Donbass, starting in northeast Donetsk Oblast. In the Bakhmutio, Russian forces continue to concentrate their available combat potential in the direction of Ivanivska. Heavy fighting continued northeast and on the eastern edge of the settlement. A video recorded by a drone showed Russian airstrikes destroying the settlement of Chasivyar, approximately 5 kilometers from the line of conflict. In the Klishivka AO, positional fighting continued northwest and east of Klishivka and near Andreevka. In southwest Donetsk Oblast, Ukrainian forces continue to struggle to stabilize new defensive lines in the Avdivka AO. The Ukrainian Air Force flew combat sorties in the Avdivka AO, dropping JDM bombs on occupied Krasnohorivka. One of the buildings hit is a known staging area for Russian troops. The ammunition crisis is likely forcing Ukrainian commanders to take more risks with their limited air assets. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported there were 18 combat clashes in the area, a decrease from the last two days. The commander of the 26th Separate Rifle Battalion of the 47th Motor Infantry Brigade, known as Mongol, said that Russian forces would advance for a day and then pull up new reserves for two to three days. Quote, when a certain number of people gather, they go on the offensive again, but they are always persisting. Russian forces appear to be in a brief operational pause, with a reduction in operational tempo. In our assessment, this is not because of a reduction of combat potential. Russian forces were held back east of Berdychi while advancing to the eastern edge of Orlivka. Multiple Russian sources independently reported fighting was ongoing within Orlivka. Based on the reports, we expanded the grey area and moved the line of conflict to the eastern edge of the settlement. The situation was described as difficult in Tonenke, with Russian forces attacking from two directions. Several Russian mail bloggers appear to be setting conditions in the information space for the Russian advances to slow down, suggesting that even with the munition shortages, Russian forces are reaching better established defenses that will be hard to penetrate. Southwest of occupied Avdiivka, fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske and Nianevelske, with no change in the situation. In the Marinka AO, Russian forces were able to advance on Krasnohorivka. Just to clarify, that's a different Krasnohorivka from the one bombed by Ukrainian Air Force. From the south, retaking the mineshaft complex they withdrew from in January.
Russian sources reported fighting was ongoing east of the settlement. The map was adjusted. There were no reports of fighting in the area of Georgievka, which Russian forces appear to have deprioritized. GSAFU reported fighting west of the village of Pobeda. This may be an attempt to flank Georgievka from the south. The terrain is somewhat unfavorable for advance in this direction. In the Vuhledareo, Russian forces suffered catastrophic losses in a failed attempt to advance on Novomikhailovka from the south. A column of armored vehicles was destroyed as they reached the outskirts of the settlement. We'll link to the video in today's situation report. More information is in the podcast description. Russian forces probed Ukrainian defenses south of Vuhledar using reconnaissance in force, suffered losses and withdrew. Further west in the Staromlinivka AO, Russian forces also probed the Ukrainian defenses south of Staromayorsk and Dorozhyne and found they were very effective. Fighting continued in Zaporizhia Oblast, and there continues to be no indication Russia is setting conditions for a larger offensive. In the Hulepole AO, GSFU reported an attack in the direction of Malinivka was repulsed, while the Russian Ministry of Defense, Armored, reported fighting continued in the area of Marfopil. In the Urikhivio, fighting continued south and west of Robotene, with no change in the situation. There was new information about the February 22nd car bombing in occupied Berdyansk. Two Russian soldiers were wounded by the blast, which used an estimated 400 grams of TNT or equivalent. Russian occupiers claim the blast was caused by, quote, careless handling of flammable substances. I remain amazed that Russia would rather say we are completely incompetent than admit Ukrainian forces or partisans blew something up. In the Khersonio, fighting continued in Krynke, with Ukrainian forces repelling a single attack. Russian mercenary mill blogger Romanov Light continues to tempt fate by doom posting about the situation near the village. Quote, the price of lying to the president, the enemy advanced west towards Kozachi Lahiri. There is no leading edge with stable defense. Because of the lies, no one even understands where to shoot. There is a total concealment of information about the real situation from the command. Unquote. The Russian Dnieper group has sent the 26th Motorized Rifle Regiment and the 337th Airborne Assault Regiment on repeated, unsuccessful assaults on Ukrainian positions. In occupied Novakakhovka, insurgents blew up the offices of Putin's political party, United Russia. Early voting in the illegal sham elections for the Russian president has already started in the occupied territories. In Poland, protests against Ukrainian agricultural products, co-opted by pro-Russian elements, continued. Up to 10,000 protesters blocked streets in Warsaw, towing an effigy of an Abrams main battle tank made of straw through the streets. Traffic was blocked, police were shoved, and bonfires were lit. Prime Minister of Poland Donald Tusk announced that his government was discussing if, quote, it would be possible to extend the embargo to other products if the EU does not find a more effective way to protect the Polish and European markets. Unquote. The statement was made after farmers demanded that the imports of fruit, eggs, and meat 
also be blocked. Amazingly, none of the protesters in Poland have any problems with cheap food imports into the EU from Russia and Belarus. Do they realize that some of those Russian grain imports are stolen Ukrainian grain? You'd almost think a hybrid warfare operation was ongoing. Ukrainian journalist Mikhailo Tkach said that he and his crew were detained by Polish authorities near the border with Belarus. Tkach said that as Polish farmers were blocking the Ukrainian-Polish border, the UP team decided to see what was happening on the Polish-Belarusian border. The team of journalists reported they were held for four hours, had their equipment intentionally damaged and had their videos deleted. Tkach said he was not allowed to use the bathroom and was interrogated in Polish. Polish officials denied the entire incident, claiming that no one was detained near the Belarusian border. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Here is my theatre-wide update. On February 26th and 27th, Russia launched 13 Shahid-136 one-way drones, 4KH-59 air-to-surface guided missiles, an Iskander-M short-range ballistic missile, and a KH-31P anti-radiation missile at Ukraine. Ten UAVs and two KH-59 missiles were intercepted. On the night of February 27th and 28th, Ukraine intercepted all ten Shahads that targeted the Odessa area. Ukraine reported it shot down two more Su-34 multi-role fighter aircraft, sharing a blurry picture of one that appears to be breaking up in mid-flight. This may be the weirdest story we've reported on after more than two years of war coverage. Ukrainian drone operators flying a DJI Mavic 3 UAV recorded a disc-shaped, unidentified aerial phenomena. Normally, this wouldn't even make our rumors sections, but the video drew enough attention for DJI to release a statement. The drone maker couldn't explain what was recorded, but said it may have been a problem with the drone, noting that an error message was on the operator's screen. However, the message only stated that the drone was flying in manual mode. Some aviation experts said the disk was a Fata Morgana, essentially a mirage. However, others noted that the object was too stable and increased in size and scale as the drone approached. We have absolutely no idea what was recorded by the drone. We'll link to the video in our situation report, and you can watch it for yourself. Ukrainian military analyst Oleksandr Kovalenko reported that during February Russia used a record number of unguided and guided glide bombs. Through February the 26th, over 1,200 munitions, ranging from 250 to 1,500 kilograms, had been used. On February the 17th, a single-day record of 151 bombs were dropped, 94 on Avdiivka. Despite the claimed loss of nine Su-34 and Su-35 aircraft and four documented, there is little evidence that the number of bombing sorties is declining. 
Ukrainian officials reported that since the February the 23rd shutdown of a Russian A-50U AWACS aircraft, no new sorties had been flown by the remaining fleet. The spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force, Colonel Yuri Ignat, reported that Russia significantly increased the number of drones flying intelligence, reconnaissance and surveillance missions in the Dnipro and Kharkiv oblasts. Quote, they are intensifying aerial reconnaissance along the entire demarcation line. They want to see more in order to plan, obviously, some combat actions. Unquote. A sharp increase in ISR activity is part of Russian conditions setting for future large-scale drone and missile attacks. GSAFU clarified that the published numbers of Russian personnel losses included both killed and wounded in action. The clarification was made after the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, reported that 180,000 Russian soldiers and proxy troops had been killed since February 24, 2022, well below the official published number of 412,400. As an editorial policy, we do not actively report on or make attempts to project casualty numbers. In our assessment, 412,400 Russian soldiers killed and wounded in the last two years is plausible. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov dismissed Ukraine's 10-point peace plan, calling it an, quote, obvious ultimatum to, quote, attract as many countries as possible into discussions on the proposal. In the last 24 hours, it has become clear the leaders are not in alignment on whether European troops would be sent to Ukraine. French Prime Minister Gabriel Attal made it clear that the door was still open. Quote, we cannot accept the fact that Russia must win this war, that an authoritarian country must take control of a democratic country by force, because we stand behind Ukraine. Unquote. The Foreign Minister of France, Stéphane Sejourné, was more direct. Quote, we must consider new actions to support Ukraine. These must respond to very specific needs. I am thinking in particular of mine clearance, cyber defense and the production of weapons on site on Ukrainian territory. Some of these actions could require a presence on Ukrainian territory without crossing the threshold of fighting. Nothing should be ruled out. This was, and still is, the position today of the President of the Republic. Unquote. When asked about sending troops to Ukraine, the Chief of Defense for the Netherlands, Onno Eichelsheim, said, quote, I think you should not write off any option to see how best to support Ukraine, but added that it would only be done as a last resort. NATO Secretary-General Jan Stoltenberg told the Associated Press that the alliance has no plans to send a unified force to Ukraine. The talk in Europe forced Moscow to draw new red lines after every previous line had been trampled. The deputy head of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, Dmitry Medvedev, said that, quote, it seems that Macron's speech impediment has become a protracted and painful problem while accusing Paris of having a desire to provide nuclear arms to all willing Europeans. Unquote. Wait, isn't Russia the same country that staged tactical nuclear weapons in the potato kingdom of Belarus? Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said that if Europe or NATO put troops in Ukraine, quote, 
we will have to talk not about the probability, but about the inevitability of a direct confrontation between Russia and NATO." Unquote. The security service of Ukraine warned that Russia's ongoing hybrid warfare against Ukraine and its allies, called Maidan III, will increase in the coming months. Quote, According to the enemy's plan, the situation in our country will be shaken in the first half of June, and then, taking advantage of this, Ukraine will be inflicted with a military defeat in the East. And this is the key idea of their operation. In view of the above circumstances, we appeal to Ukrainian society, our international partners and allies, to strengthen joint resistance and comprehensive security measures, especially in the information space, in order to effectively counter global threats and challenges of a new global hybrid war. The war that the Russian Federation and its criminal allies are waging against the entire civilized world today. Our society needs unity. Unquote. The Minister of Defense of South Korea, Shin Won-sik, claimed that North Korea has sent up to 3.5 million artillery rounds to Russia, moving 6,700 shipping containers since July 2023. In an interview with Bloomberg, Shin said that Russia was providing food aid to the DPRK while driving industrial production, helping stabilize the economy of the totalitarian state. Long-time listeners may remember that this time last year, our previous Hope and Analyst team was becoming exhausted from documenting the antics of PMC Wagner Group leader Evgeny Prigozhin. We are starting to feel the same way about the United States Congress. Not the evil mercenary leader part, they're having to talk about a circus in a clown car, because it's still very relevant to the Russia-Ukraine war. Okay, let's get through this together. During a meeting at the White House with President Joe Biden, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell discussed preventing a government shutdown and aid for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. After leaving the White House, Senator Schumer said it was a, quote, productive and intense meeting with a discussion on aid for Ukraine, one of the most tense I've ever seen at the White House. Reportedly, Biden, Jeffries, Schumer and McConnell were aligned with passing a support package for Ukraine and put tremendous pressure on Johnson. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said that all four congressional leaders agreed that a government shutdown and the continued delay of aid to Ukraine is, quote, unacceptable. Biden reportedly had a brief private conversation with Johnson at the end of their meeting. Any hope that the Senate bill for aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan would be brought to the House floor was dashed by Johnson. Speaking to reporters after the meeting, he said, quote, When I showed up today, my purpose was to express what I believe is the obvious truth. We must take care of America's needs first and first and foremost about our open border." Unquote. On the issue of aid to Ukraine, Johnson would only say the House of Representatives was quote, "...investigating various options on that, and we will address that in the time and manner." Unquote. French President Emmanuel Macron also dropped a bombshell, saying that the EU quote, "...did not have that million rounds of ammunition, that was undoubtedly a rash commitment. 
The reality is that in the very short term you can only provide the ammunition that you have in stock or the ones that you produce exactly on time. Unquote. The Netherlands announced it was providing $108 million to the Czech Republic's initiative to buy 800,000 rounds of available artillery ammunition for Ukraine. The last update indicated there was still a $1.5 billion shortfall before the Dutch announcement. Israel is preparing to deliver the early warning detection systems for missile and drone attacks to Ukraine that were pledged in 2023. The European Parliament officially approved the transfer of 50 billion euros in macrofinancial aid to Ukraine, with the first tranche of 4.7 billion expected to arrive by the end of March, maybe, instead of the beginning of March. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.